Chapter 15 Speaker for the Dead The lake was still. There was no breeze. The two men sat together in chairs on the floating dock. A small wooden raft was tied up at the dock. Graf hooked his foot in the rope and pulled the raft in, then let it drift out, then pulled it in again. You've lost weight. One kind of stress puts it on, another takes it off. I'm a creature of chemicals. It must have been hard. Graf shrugged. Not really. I knew I'd be acquitted. Some of us weren't so sure. People were crazy for a while there. Mistreatment of children, negligent homicide. Those videos of bone sows and Stiltson's deaths were pretty gruesome. To watch one child do that to another. As much as anything, I think the video saved me. The prosecution edited them, but we showed the whole thing. It was plain that Ender was not the provocateur. After that, it was just a second guessing game. I said I believed I did what was necessary for the preservation of the human race, and it worked. We got the judges to agree that the prosecution had to prove beyond doubt that Ender would have won the war without the training we gave him. The exigencies of war. Anyway, Graf, it was a great relief to us. I know we quarreled, and I know the prosecution used tapes of our conversations against you, but by then I knew that you were right, and I offered to testify for you. I know, Anderson. My lawyers told me. So, what will you do now? I don't know. I'm still relaxing. I have a few years of leave accrued, enough to take me to retirement, and I have plenty of salary that I never used, sitting around in banks. I could live on the interest. Maybe I'll do nothing. It sounds nice, but I couldn't stand it. I've been offered the presidency of three different universities on the theory that I'm an educator. They don't believe me when I say that all I ever cared about at the battle school was the game. I think I'll go with the other offer. Commissioner? Now that the wars are over, it's time to play games again. It'll be almost like vacation anyway. Only 28 teams in the league. Though, after years of watching those children flying, football is like watching slugs bash into each other. They laughed. Graf sighed and pushed the raft with his foot. That raft, surely you can't float on it. Graf shook his head. Ender built it. That's right, this is where you took him. It's even been deeded over to him. I saw that he was amply rewarded. He'll have all the money he ever needs. If they ever let him come back to use it. They never will. With Demosthenes agitating for him to come home? Demosthenes isn't on the nets anymore. Anderson raised an eyebrow. What does that mean? Demosthenes has retired permanently. You know something, you old fart eater. You know who Demosthenes is. Was. Well, tell me. No. You're no fun anymore, Graf. I never was fun. At least you can tell me why. There were a lot of us who thought Demosthenes would be hegemon someday. There was never a chance of that. No, even Demosthenes' mob of political cretins couldn't persuade the hegemon to bring Ender back to Earth. Ender is far too dangerous. He's only eleven, twelve now. All the more dangerous because he could so easily be controlled. In all the world, the name of Ender is one to conjure with. The child god, the miracle worker, with life and death in his hands. Every petty tyrant-to-be would like to have the boy, to set him in front of an army and watch the world either flock to join or cower in fear. If Ender came to Earth, he'd want to come here, to rest, to salvage what he can of his childhood. But they'd never let him rest. I see. Someone explained that to Demosthenes? Graf smiled. Demosthenes explained it to someone else. Someone who could have used Ender as no one else could have. To rule the world and make the world like it. Who? Locke. 
Locke is the one who argued for Ender to stay on Eros. All is not always as it seems, Anderson. It's too deep for me, Graf. Give me the game. Nice, neat rules, referees, beginnings and endings, winners and losers, and then everybody goes home to their families. Get me tickets to some games now and then, all right? You won't really stay here and retire, will you? No. You're going into the hegemony, aren't you? I'm the new minister of colonization. So they're doing it. As soon as we get the reports back on the bugger colony worlds, I mean, there they are, already fertile, with housing and industry in place, and all the buggers dead. Very convenient. We'll repeal the population limitation laws, which everybody hates, and all those thirds and fourths and fifths will get on starships and head out for worlds known and unknown. Will people really go? People always go. Always. They always believe they can make a better life than in the old world. What the hell, maybe they can. At first, Ender believed that they would bring him back to Earth as soon as things quieted down. But things were quiet now, had been quiet for a year, and it was plain to him now that they would not bring him back at all. That he was much more useful as a name and a story than he would ever be as an inconvenient flesh and blood person. And there was the matter of the court-martial on the crimes of Colonel Graf. Admiral Cham Rajnagar tried to keep Ender from watching it, but failed. Ender had been awarded the rank of Admiral too, and this was one of the few times he asserted the privileges the rank implied. So he watched the videos of the fights with Stiltson and Bonso, watched as the photographs of the corpses were displayed listened as the psychologists and lawyers argued whether murder had been committed or the killing was in self-defense. Ender had his own opinion, but no one asked him. Throughout the trial, it was really Ender himself under attack. The prosecution was too clever to charge him directly, but there were attempts to make him look sick, perverted, criminally insane. Never mind, said Mazer Rackham. The politicians are afraid of you but they can't destroy your reputation yet. That won't be done until the historians get at you in thirty years. Ender didn't care about his reputation. He watched the videos impassively. But, in fact, he was amused. In battle, I killed ten billion buggers, whose queens, at least, were as alive and wise as any man, who had not even launched a third attack against us, and no one thinks to call it a crime? All his crimes weighed heavy upon him, the deaths of Stiltson and Bonzo no heavier and no lighter than the rest. And so, with that burden, he waited through the empty months until the world that he had saved decided he could come home. One by one, his friends reluctantly left him, called home to their families, to be received with heroes' welcomes in hometowns they barely remembered. Ender watched the videos of their homecomings and was touched when they spent much of their time praising Ender Wigan, who taught them everything, they said, who taught them and led them into victory. But if they called for him to be brought home, the words were censored from the videos and no one heard the plea. For a time, the only work in Eros was cleaning up after the bloody League War and receiving the reports of the starships, once warships, that were now exploring the bugger colony worlds. But now, Eros was busier than ever, more crowded than it had ever been during the war, as colonists were brought here to prepare for their voyages to the empty bugger worlds. Ender took part in the work as much as they would let him, 
It did not occur to them that this twelve-year-old boy might be as gifted at peace as he was at war, but he was patient with their tendency to ignore him, and learned to make his proposals and suggest his plans through the few adults who listened to him and let them present them as their own. He was concerned not about getting credit, but about getting the job done. The one thing he could not bear was the worship of the colonists. He learned to avoid the tunnels where they lived, because they would always recognize him. The world had memorized his face, and then they would scream and shout and embrace him and congratulate him and show him the children they had named after him and tell him how he was so young it broke their hearts and they didn't blame him for any of his murders because it wasn't his fault he was just a child. He hid from them as best he could. There was one colonist, though, he couldn't hide from. He wasn't inside Eros that day. He had gone up with a shuttle to the new ISL, where he had been learning to do surface work on the starships. It was unbecoming to an officer to do mechanical labor, Chamrajnagar told him, but Ender answered that since the trade he had mastered wasn't much called for now, it was about time he learned another skill. They spoke to him through his helmet radio and told him that someone was waiting to see him as soon as he could come in. Ender couldn't think of anyone he wanted to see, and so he didn't hurry. He finished installing the shield for the ship's ansible, and then hooked his way across the face of the ship and pulled himself up into the airlock. She was waiting for him outside the changing room. For a moment, he was annoyed that they would let a colonist come to bother him here, where he came to be alone. Then he looked again and realized that if the young woman were a little girl, he would know her. Valentine, he said. Hi, Ender. What are you doing here? Demosthenes retired. Now I'm going with the first colony. It's fifty years to get there. Only two years if you're aboard the ship. But if you ever came back, everybody you knew on Earth would be dead. That was what I had in mind. I was hoping, though, that someone I knew on Eros might come with me. I don't want to go to a world we stole from the buggers. I just want to go home. Ender, you're never going back to Earth. I saw to that before I left. He looked at her in silence. I tell you that now, so if you want to hate me, you can hate me from the beginning. They went to Ender's tiny compartment in the ISL and she explained. Peter wanted Ender back on Earth under the protection of the Hegemon's council. The way things are right now, Ender, that would put you effectively under Peter's control, since half the council now does just what Peter wants. The ones that aren't Locke's lapdogs are under his thumb in other ways. Do they know who he really is? Yes. He isn't publicly known, but people in high places know him. It doesn't matter anymore. He has too much power for them to worry about his age. He's done incredible things, Ender. I noticed the treaty a year ago was named for Locke. That was his breakthrough. He proposed it through his friends from the public policy nets, and then Demosthenes got behind it too. It was the moment he had been waiting for, to use Demosthenes' influence with the mob and Locke's influence with the intelligentsia to accomplish something noteworthy. It forestalled a really vicious war that could have lasted for decades. He decided to be a statesman? I think so, but in his cynical moments, of which there are many, he pointed out to me that if he had allowed the League to fall apart completely, he'd have to conquer the world piece by piece. As long as the hegemony existed, he could do it in one lump. Ender nodded. That's the Peter I knew. Funny, isn't it? That Peter would save millions of lives. While I killed billions. 
I wasn't going to say that. So he wanted to use me. He had plans for you, Ender. He would publicly reveal himself when you arrived, going to meet you in front of all the videos. Ender Wiggins, older brother, who also happened to be the great Locke, the architect of peace. Standing next to you, he would look quite mature, and the physical resemblance between you is stronger than ever. It would be quite simple for him, then, to take over. Why did you stop him? Ender, you wouldn't be happy spending the rest of your life as Peter's pawn. <sighs> Why not? I've spent my whole life as someone's pawn. Me too. I showed Peter all the evidence that I had assembled, enough to prove in the eyes of the public that he was a psychotic killer. It included full-color pictures of tortured squirrels and some of the monitor videos of the way he treated you. It took some work to get it all together, but by the time he saw it, he was willing to give me what I wanted. What I wanted was your freedom and mine. It's not my idea of freedom to go live in the house of the people that I killed. Ender, what's done is done. Their worlds are empty now and ours is full. And we can take with us what their worlds have never known. Cities full of people who live private, individual lives, who love and hate each other for their own reasons. In all the bugger worlds, there was never more than a single story to be told. When we're there, the world will be full of stories and will improvise their endings day by day. Ender, Earth belongs to Peter, and if you don't go with me now, he'll have you there and use you up until you wish you'd never been born. Now is the only chance you'll get to get away. Ender said nothing. I know what you're thinking, Ender. You're thinking that I'm trying to control you just as much as Peter or Graf or any of the others. It had crossed my mind. Welcome to the human race. Nobody controls his own life, Ender. The best you can do is choose to fill the roles given to you by good people, by people who love you. I didn't come here because I wanted to be a colonist. I came because I've spent my whole life in the company of the brother that I hated. Now, I want a chance to know the brother that I love. Before it's too late. Before we're not children anymore. It's already too late for that. You're wrong, Ender. You think you're grown up and tired and jaded with everything. But in your heart, you're just as much a kid as I am. We can keep it secret from everybody else. While you're governing the colony and I'm writing political philosophy, they'll never guess that in the darkness of night, we sneak into each other's rooms and play checkers and have pillow fights. Ender laughed but he had noticed some things that she dropped too casually for them to be accidental. Governing? I'm Demosthenes, Ender. I went out with a bang. A public announcement that I believed so much in the colonization movement that I was going in the first ship myself. At the same time, the Minister of Colonization, a former colonel named Graf, announced that the pilot of the colony ship would be the great Mazer Rackham, and the governor of the first colony it established would be Ender Wigan. They might have asked me, but then again, nobody ever does. I wanted to ask you myself. But it's already announced. No, they'll be announcing it tomorrow if you accept. Mazer accepted a few hours ago, back in Eros. You're telling everyone that you're Demosthenes, a 14-year-old girl? We're only telling them that Demosthenes is going with the colony. Let them spend the next 50 years poring over the passenger list, trying to figure out which one of them is the great demagogue of the age of Locke. Ender laughed and shook his head. You're actually having fun, Val. I can't think of why I shouldn't. All right, said Ender. I'll go. Maybe even as governor, as long as you and Mazer are there to help me. My abilities are a little underused at present. She squealed and hugged him, for all the world like a typical teenage girl who just got the present that she wanted from her little brother. Val, he said, 
I just want one thing clear. I'm not going for you. I'm not going in order to be the governor or because I'm bored here. I'm going because I know the buggers better than any other living soul, and maybe if I go there I can understand them better. I stole their future from them. I can only begin to repay them by seeing what I can learn from their past. The voyage was long. By the end of it, Val had finished the first volume of her history of the Bugger Wars and transmitted it by Ansible, under Demosthenes' name, back to Earth. And Ender had won something better than the adulation of the passengers. They knew him now, and he had won their love and their respect. He worked hard on the new world. He quickly understood the differences between military and civilian leadership and governed by persuasion rather than fiat, and by working as hard as anyone at the tasks involved in setting up a self-sustaining economy. But his most important work, as everyone agreed, was exploring what the buggers had left behind, trying to find among structures, machinery, and fields long untended some things that human beings could use, could learn from. There were no books to read. The buggers never needed them. With all things present in their memories, all things spoken as they were thought, when the buggers died, their knowledge died with them. And yet, from the sturdiness of the roofs that covered their animal sheds and their food supplies, Ender learned that winter could be hard, with heavy snows. From fences with sharpened stakes that pointed outwards, he learned that there were marauding animals that were a danger to the crops or the herds. From the mill, he learned that the long, foul-tasting fruits that grew in the overgrown orchards were dried and ground into meal, and from the slings that once were used to carry infants along with adults into the fields, he learned that even though the buggers were not much for individuality, they did care for their young. Life settled down, and years passed. The colony lived in wooden houses and used the tunnels of the Bugger City for storage and many factories. They were governed by a council now, and administrators were elected, so that Ender, though they still called him governor, was in fact only a judge. There were crimes and quarrels, alongside kindness and cooperation. There were people who loved each other and people who did not. It was a human world. They did not wait so eagerly for each new transmission from the Ansible. The names that were famous on Earth meant little to them now. The only name they knew was that of Peter Wigan, the hegemon of Earth. The only news that came was news of peace, of prosperity, of great ships leaving the littoral of Earth's solar system, passing the comet shield and filling up the bugger worlds. Soon there would be other colonies on this world, Ender's world. Soon there would be neighbors. Already they were halfway there, but no one cared. They would help the newcomers when they came, teach them what they had learned. But what mattered in life now was who would marry whom, and who was sick, and when was planting time, and why should I pay him when the calf died three weeks after I got it? They've become people of the land said Valentine. No one cares now that Demosthenes is sending the seventh volume of his history today. No one here will read it. Ender pressed a button and his desk showed him the next page. Very insightful, Valentine. How many more volumes until you're through? Just one. The story of Ender Wigan. What will you do? Wait until I'm dead to write it? No, 
Just write it, and when I've brought it up to the present day, I'll stop. I have a better idea. Take it up to the day we won the final battle. Stop there. Nothing that I've done since then is worth writing down. Maybe, said Valentine, and maybe not. The Ansible had brought them word that the new colony ship was only a year away. They asked Ender to find a place for them to settle in, near enough to Ender's colony that the two colonies could trade, but far enough apart that they could be governed separately. Ender used the helicopter and began to explore. He took one of the children along, an eleven-year-old boy named Abra. He had only been three when the colony was founded, and he remembered no other world than this. He and Ender flew as far away as Ender thought the new colony should be, then camped for the night and got a feel for the land on foot the next morning. It was on the third morning that Ender suddenly began to feel an uneasy sense that he had been in this place before. He looked around. It was new land. He had never seen it. He called out to Abra. Ho, Ender, Abra called. He was on top of a steep, low hill. Ender scrambled up, the turves coming away from his feet in the soft ground. Abra was pointing downward. Can you believe this? He asked. The hill was hollow. A deep depression in the middle, partially filled with water, was ringed by concave slopes that cantilevered dangerously over the water. In one direction, the hill gave way to two long ridges that made a V-shaped valley. In the other direction, the hill rose to a piece of white rock, grinning like a skull with a tree growing out of its mouth. It's like a giant died here, said Abra. Now Ender knew why it had looked familiar. The giant's corpse. He had played here too many times as a child not to know this place. But it was not possible. The computer in the battle school could not possibly have seen this place. He looked through his binoculars in a direction he knew well, fearing and hoping he would see what belonged in that place. Swings and slides, monkey bars, now overgrown, but the shapes still unmistakable. Somebody had to have built this. Abra said. Look, this skull place. It's not a rock. Look at it. This is concrete. I know, said Ender. They built it for me. What? I know this place, Abra. The buggers built it for me. The buggers were all dead fifty years before we got here. You're right. It's impossible. But I know what I know. Abra, I shouldn't take you with me. It might be dangerous. If they knew me well enough to build this place, they might be planning to... To get even with you for killing them. So don't go, Ender. Don't do what they want you to do. If they want to get revenge, Abra, I don't mind. But perhaps they don't. Perhaps this is the closest they could come to talking, to writing me a note. But they didn't know how to read and write. Maybe they were learning when they died. Well, I'm sure as hell not sticking around here if you're taking off somewhere. I'm going with you. No, you're too young to take the risk of... Come on! You're Ender Wigan. Don't tell me what eleven-year-old kids can do. Together they flew in the copter, over the playground, over the woods, over the well in the forest clearing, then out to where there was, indeed, a cliff, with a cave in the cliff wall, and a ledge right where the end of the world should be, and there in the distance, just where it should be in the fantasy game, was the castle tower. He left Abro with the copter. Don't come after me, and go home in an hour if I don't come back. Eat it, Ender, I'm coming with you. 
Eat it yourself, Abra, or I'll stuff you with mud. Abra could tell, despite Ender's joking tone, that he meant it, and so he stayed. The walls of the tower were notched and ledged for easy climbing. They meant him to get in. The room was as it always had been. Ender remembered well enough to look for a snake on the floor, but there was only a rug with a carved snake's head at one corner. Imitation, not duplication. For a people who made no art, they had done well. They must have dragged these images from Ender's own mind, finding him and learning his darkest dreams across the light years. But why? To bring him to this room, of course. To leave a message for him. But where was the message, and how would he understand it? The mirror was waiting for him on the wall. It was a dull sheet of metal in which the rough shape of a human face had been scratched. They tried to draw the image I should see in the picture. And, looking at the mirror, he could remember breaking it, pulling it from the wall, and snakes leaping out of the hidden place, attacking him, biting him wherever their poisonous fangs could find purchase. How well do they know me? wondered Ender. Well enough to know how often I have thought of death, to know that I'm not afraid of it. Well enough to know that even if I feared death, it would not stop me from taking that mirror from the wall. He walked to the mirror, lifted, pulled away. Nothing jumped from the space behind it. Instead, in a hollowed-out place, there was a white ball of silk with a few frayed strands sticking out here and there. An egg? No, the pupa of a queen bugger, already fertilized by the larval males, ready, out of her own body, to hatch a hundred thousand buggers including a few queens and males. Ender could see in his mind the slug-like males clinging to the walls of a dark tunnel, and the large adults carrying the infant queen to the mating room. Each male in turn penetrated the larval queen, shuddered in ecstasy, and died, dropping to the tunnel floor and shriveling. Then the new queen was laid before the old a magnificent creature clad in soft and shimmering wings, which had long since lost the power of flight, but still contained the power of majesty. The old queen kissed her to sleep with a gentle poison in her lips, then wrapped her in threads from her belly and commanded her to become herself, to become a new city, a new world, to give birth to many queens and many worlds. How do I know this? thought Ender. How can I see these things, like memories in my own mind? As if in answer, he saw the first of all his battles with the bugger fleets. He had seen it before on the simulator. Now he saw it as the Hive Queen saw it. Through many different eyes, the buggers formed their globe of ships, and then the terrible fighters came out of the darkness, and the little doctor destroyed them in a blaze of light. He felt, then, what the Hive Queen felt, watching through her workers' eyes as death came to them too quickly to avoid, but not too quickly to be anticipated. There was no memory of pain or fear, though. What the Hive Queen felt was sadness, a sense of resignation. She had not thought these words as she saw the humans coming to kill, but it was in words that Ender understood her. The humans did not forgive us she thought. We will surely die. How can you live again? he asked. The queen in her silken cocoon had no words to give back. 
But when he closed his eyes and tried to remember, instead of memory came new images, putting the cocoon in a cool place, a dark place, but with water, so she wasn't dry, so that certain reactions could take place in the cocoon. Then time, days and weeks, for the pupa inside to change. And then, when the cocoon had changed to a dusty brown color, Ender saw himself splitting open the cocoon and helping the small and fragile queen emerge. He saw himself taking her by the forelimb and helping her walk from her birthwater to a nesting place, soft with dried leaves on sand. Then I am alive, came the thought in his mind. Then I am awake. Then I make my ten thousand children. No, said Ender, I can't. Anguish. There flashed through his mind a dozen images of human beings being killed by buggers, but with the image came a grief so powerful he could not bear it, and he wept their tears for them. If you could make them feel as you can make me feel, he thought, then perhaps they could forgive you. Only me, he realized. They found me through the ansible, followed it and dwelt in my mind. In the agony of my tortured dreams they came to know me, even as I spent my days destroying them. They found my fear of them, and found also that I had no knowledge I was killing them. In the few weeks they had, they built this place for me, and the giant's corpse, and the playground, and the ledge at the end of the world, so I would find this place by the evidence of my eyes. I am the only one they know, and so they can only talk to me and through me. We are like you. The thought pressed into his mind. We did not mean to murder, and when we understood, we never came again. We thought we were the only thinking beings in the universe until we met you, but never did we dream that thought could arise from the lonely animals who cannot dream each other's dreams. How were we to know? We could live with you in peace. Believe us, believe us, believe us. He reached into the cavity and took out the cocoon. It was astonishingly light to hold all the hope and future of a great race within it. I'll carry you, said Ender. I'll go from world to world until I find a time and a place where you can come awake in safety, and I'll tell your story to my people, so that perhaps in time they can forgive you too, the way that you've forgiven me. He wrapped the queen's cocoon in his jacket and carried her from the tower. What was in there? asked Abra. The answer said Ender. To what? My question. And that was all he said of the matter. They searched for five more days and chose a site for the colony far to the east and south of the tower. Weeks later, he came to Valentine and told her to read something he had written. She pulled the file he named from the ship's computer and read it. It was written as if the Hive Queen spoke, telling all that they had meant to do and all that they had done. Here are our failures, and here is our greatness. We did not mean to hurt you, and we forgive you for our death. From their earliest awareness to the great wars that swept across their homeworld, Ender told the story quickly, as if it were an ancient memory. When he came to the tale of the Great Mother, the Queen of All, who first learned to keep and teach the new queen instead of killing her or driving her away, then he lingered telling how many times she had finally to destroy the child of her body, the new self that was not herself. 
until she bore the one who understood her quest for harmony. This was a new thing in the world, two queens that loved and helped each other instead of battling, and together they were stronger than any other hive. They prospered. They had more daughters who joined them in peace. It was the beginning of wisdom. If only we could have talked to you, the hive queen said in Ender's words. But since it could not be, we ask only this, that you remember us, not as enemies, but as tragic sisters, changed into a foul shape by fate or God or evolution. If we had kissed, it would have been the miracle to make us human in each other's eyes. Instead, we killed each other. But still, we welcome you now as guest friends. Come into our home, daughters of Earth. Dwell in our tunnels. Harvest our fields. What we can no longer do, you are now our hands to do for us. Blossom, trees. Ripen, fields. Be warm for them, suns. Be fertile for them, planets. They are our adopted daughters, and they have come home. The book that Ender wrote was not long but in it was all the good and all the evil that the Hive Queen knew, and he signed it, not with his name, but with a title, Speaker for the Dead. On Earth, the book was published quietly, and quietly it was passed from hand to hand, until it was hard to believe that anyone on Earth might not have read it. Most who read it found it interesting. Some who read it refused to set it aside. They began to live by it as best they could, and when their loved ones died, a believer would arise beside the grave to be the speaker for the dead and say what the dead one would have said, but with full candor, hiding no faults and pretending no virtues. Those who came to such services sometimes found them painful and disturbing, but there were many who decided that their life was worthwhile enough despite their errors that when they died, a speaker should tell the truth for them. On earth it remained a religion among many religions, but for those who traveled the great cave of space and lived their lives in the Hive Queen's tunnels and harvested the Hive Queen's fields, it was the only religion. There was no colony without its speaker for the dead. No one knew, and no one really wanted to know, who was the original speaker. Ender was not inclined to tell them. When Valentine was twenty-five years old, she finished the last volume of her history of the Bugger Wars. She included at the end the complete text of Ender's little book, but did not say that Ender wrote it. By Ansible, she got an answer from the ancient hegemon, Peter Wigan, seventy-seven years old with a failing heart. I know who wrote it, he said. If he can speak for the buggers, surely he can speak for me. Back and forth across the Ansible, Ender and Peter spoke, with Peter pouring out the story of his days and years, his crimes and his kindnesses. And when he died, Ender wrote a second volume, again signed by the Speaker for the Dead. Together his two books were called The Hive Queen and The Hegemon, and they were wholly writ. Come on he said to Valentine one day. Let's fly away and live forever. We can't, she said. There are miracles even relativity can't pull off, Ender. We have to go. I'm almost happy here. So stay. I've lived too long with pain. I won't know who I am without it. So they boarded a starship and went from world to world, 
Wherever they stopped, he was always Andrew Wigan, itinerant speaker for the dead, and she was always Valentine, historian errant, writing down the stories of the living, while Ender spoke the stories of the dead. And always Ender carried with him a dry white cocoon, looking for the world where the Hive Queen could awaken and thrive in peace. He looked a long time. Hello and welcome back. I just wanted to say thanks so much for listening. This took hundreds of hours over nearly a year to put together and I really hope you enjoyed it. It's something that I did just for fun and since I started, over 200 people have decided that they like it enough to subscribe. I know that's not much according to YouTube metrics, but I imagine putting a couple hundred people in a room who all want to hear me read and that's just incredible to me. Anyway, I hope you enjoy the next production, which at this point is going to be Journey to the Center of the Earth and Ready Player One, if I can make them work. Alright, thanks again. Bye-bye.